Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. The video that I'm about to show you was recorded on my 75th birthday, December 4th, 2021, in Las Vegas, Nevada. The location is the facility of the Bigelow Aerospace Company, and you will see in the background large objects that are actually inflatable space station components manufactured at this facility. In 2021, Robert Bigelow established the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies and sponsored an essay competition on the topic of the best evidence for the survival of human consciousness after permanent bodily death. Some 1,200 people applied to enter this event my entry was unanimously selected by a panel of six judges as the grand prize winner. The award was $500,000. Twenty-eight other entrants received prizes totaling $1.4 million over and above. The ABC affiliate station in Las Vegas described this event as maybe the biggest essay contest of all time to solve the biggest question of all time. The video you are about to see is my acceptance speech at that event. Before I switch over to that video, I would like to acknowledge Patricia Fripp, the professional speaking coach who assisted me in my preparation for this occasion. And now, the video. What a great way to celebrate my 75th birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Robert Bigelow. You, more than any other individual, are bringing public awareness to the enormous body of evidence favoring human survival. And your contributions financially to the 29 winners is a huge boost to the entire research community. And if I may say so, speaking on behalf of all the award recipients, a great gift to humanity. Thank you. The last time I received an award of any kind was over 20 years ago, and all I got was this little plaque. <laughs> but I had more hair back then. And I'd also like to thank everybody here for being vaccinated. You know, we've come here to study the afterlife, not to go there. <laughs> There'll be time enough for that later. 
If you had known me when I was 25, you would have seen a criminology graduate student volunteering in the psychiatric unit of San Quentin Prison, conducting group therapy sessions with murderers and rapists. Imagine my surprise in March of 1972, when I awakened from a dream, simultaneously crying tears of joy and singing one of the most sacred songs from my religious tradition of Judaism. Little did I know then that that was the moment that led to my destiny of being here with you today on my birthday. My great uncle Harry appeared to me in that dream, and we communicated at a soul-to-soul -soul level. I was so touched. I wrote home immediately to my parents and said, how's Uncle Harry? My mother called me right away and said, how did you know, Jeffrey? That was when he died. You know, there's an old song from about World War I. It goes, how do you keep them down on the farm once they've seen Paris? How was I to continue conducting psychotherapy sessions at San Quentin Prison after I had had such an intense experience of the afterlife? Against all odds, and all advice, I took a step. I created an individual interdisciplinary doctoral major in parapsychology. And you know, if a young student today were to say, I'd like to have a career in parapsychology, any knowledgeable person will tell them, Get your degree in some conventional field. Establish yourself. Get tenure. And only then can you begin to explore the parapsychological dimensions of life. So imagine my pride in 1980 when I opened the package and saw my diploma from the University of California at Berkeley. Here it is. And to this day, sadly, it remains the only doctoral diploma ever awarded that says parapsychology by an accredited university in the United States, possibly anywhere in the world, for all I know. Of course, it made it impossible for me to have a conventional academic career. Although along the way, I was able to help create a couple of academic institutions that received accreditation for offering advanced degrees of a distant learning nature that included courses in parapsychology. But mostly, I've been able to pursue my interests through radio, television, and video. In fact, I've been blessed to have in-depth conversations with the thought leaders of our field. 
And my essay reflects that. It includes some 70 video excerpts with 18 individuals testifying as to their firsthand experiences related to the afterlife. And another 18 individuals, scholars and scientists, commenting on those experiences. Many of them, these individuals are in this room. They're among the awardees and they're among the other contestants who aren't in this room. So in part, my essay is a product of our whole research community. In 1994, I interviewed Francis Crick, the scientist who won the Nobel Prize for his participation in the discovery of the double helix nature of the DNA molecule. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that this is one of the greatest scientific discoveries of the 20th century. It was his intention to create a new research effort to prove that the brain creates consciousness. But he had the honesty to say to me on camera, this is just a hypothesis. Science has yet to establish that the brain creates consciousness. In fact, he said, Jeffrey, it might be the case that the religious traditions are correct and that consciousness survives the death of the body. Now, I think this would surprise a lot of people who imagine that science has already long ago established that the brain produces consciousness. Not true. Another person who I interviewed and included in the essay was my good friend, Russell Targ who worked for 10 years with one of our judges, Hal Putoff, to bring remote viewing to the public. And today we can say that there are tens of thousands of people practicing remote viewing. In 2002, Russell's beautiful daughter, Elizabeth, who was a friend of mine, died at the age of 41. Shortly after her death, Russell, her husband, and even perfect strangers began receiving messages from Elizabeth. For example, her friend Jane Catra was applying for a job at Duke University. And during one of the breaks, a staff member came up to her and said, Jane, do you know a woman with long dark hair who died recently? She's with me now, the staff member said, and she's urging me to talk to you so that you will give a message to her father who doesn't believe in the afterlife, but this will convince him. She's telling me that when she was two years old, he forced her to wear a red dress that she didn't want to wear, and she tore it off. And when Russell heard that story, he realized he was the only living person who knew about that event. And it convinced him of the existence of the afterlife. Him, a hard-nosed laser physicist. I also had a communication from Elizabeth. It occurred in a dream, and just like my dream of Uncle Harry, it was more real than real. 
And Elizabeth came to me in the dream, and I was so excited and happy to see her. And in the dream, I said, Elizabeth, how wonderful to see you. I'm so impressed with all the reports I've been hearing about the communications you've been giving people, especially the physical ones. And just as I said that, especially the physical ones, the phone next to my bed rang. It was three in the morning. I picked up the phone. White noise. As a parapsychologist, I would call that an example of instrumental trance communication. Since this award was announced about a month ago, many people have come to me, including Russell Targ, and have said, Jeffrey, this award is a vindication of the decision you made nearly half a century ago to pursue a doctoral degree in parapsychology against all advice. And it's true. But the real question is, why are we, the award recipients here, so many intelligent, well-educated people willing to risk our careers to study the afterlife? For me, the answer is simple. It's about self-knowledge. Knowledge of the afterlife is knowledge of human consciousness. And to the extent that the human civilization ignores this area of research, we are lacking in self-knowledge. And this gap in our understanding is a woeful, sorry gap. And let me take it one step further. Robert Bigelow has suggested that I might comment on where I think all this interest in the afterlife is leading. Here is my opinion. If the human race is to enter the community of civilizations in this galaxy, for example, capable of interstellar space travel, we have to understand hyperspace. And that means the relationships between hyperspace and consciousness. And that means understanding the afterlife. And if you're listening, Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mackenzie Scott, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, and other billionaires, especially those who are interested in exploring outer space, and I hope you're listening. I urge you to follow the example of Robert Bigelow and contribute a portion of your vast wealth to the exploration of inner space and the far reaches of consciousness. Thank you. Thank you.